Eagle Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Get down, get down, it's Eagle Hour. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start that time before we come. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law and any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and non-prescriptive. So... Let's talk about First Reformed. Released on the 18th of May, 2018, First Reformed, also known by its Australian release title, How to Lose Friends and Alienate Yourself into Becoming an Extremist, is the story of Ernest Toller, the head pastor of the First Reformed Church, who finds himself questioning his faith after meeting a radicalised climate activist. Written and directed by Paul Schrader, the film was distributed by A24, there we go, Produced on a $3.5 million budget and made $4 million back. The film clocks in with a runtime of 113 minutes and may just make you question if you're separating your recyclables from your rubbish correctly. Well put. Um, I think we should check in with one another, particularly after watching this film. Yeah. So let's do that. Hey girl. I know it's been a while, but uh, I just need to ask you something. Big Tombo, how you how you living? I'm good. Uh, again, a little bit of a crunch time with you. Not really, just had a busy night of actually doing my homework. Uh, like something else happened this week. Oh, I watched the uh, that documentary, The Social Dilemma. Have you deleted Facebook? I deleted Reddit, YouTube, um, and eBay because eBay is a bit of a sucker for me. Looking up Pokemon cards, <laughs> maybe I don't want the public knowing that. I deleted, I deleted YouTube, uh, Reddit, and eBay because I find myself scrolling through eBay. Um, and yeah, so then I the next day, I spent one hour on my phone, um, which was good because I normally aim for about two hours a day, um, but it had been up near three in, during COVID. Um, and Are you recording the... Th- uh, is that your phone giving you those stats? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I should set that up. iPhone does it automatically, but... Um, yeah, and but then like the day that I deleted Reddit, this will sound really like lame, but I feel like I was talking to mum, and I'm kind of like I think it's good to have news sources. Like, do, like you can't. It's almost it's a whole. You know, we could talk about that documentary as a whole episode, but basically, it's like you still don't want to completely isolate yourself because society, the way it works, it sort of requires you to be up to date and on this tech. Well, the bit. pace of things, exactly. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's how you get your news. I, I really. The key question is just like, how are you happy with how you're using your technology? Could you be happier, sort of thing? Um, so I did. I turned notifications off on Messenger, and I, that's working for me. Gotta say, I've been on that game for a long, a while. The no um, notifications. Can recommend. Yeah, how's your week? Um, good. 
I'm not in crunch time. I've got next week off, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty pretty relaxed. Mm-hmm. It is worth noting this is our first day recording of this pod. Mm-hmm. So, this is ego hour before hours rather than after. Yeah, <laughs> before dark. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I think I'm keen to talk about the film, so let's do that. Cool. Bye. So, where do we begin? Where do you want um, to begin? What do you, what do you got on your notes? I uh, guess context, which is what we normally do. Actually, I just... I maybe this, before that, I want to mention that the notes... No memes. I got no memes for this movie. There's nothing funny about this film. Yeah. Okay. Context. Go. I picked this film because I'd seen it on Letterboxd or something. I don't know. I, I don't even know, but I, I'd come across it and I knew it was A24. Um. And I thought I'd give it a crack. Go With on. A24, it's, I feel like we should acknowledge that there's a difference between an A24 distributed film and an A24 produced film, right? I thought they were just as... Just, I don't, I'm only in it for the memes. I don't... Re- <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, don't I might be wrong. Of it. I probably need a fact check. I thought they were just a distributing company. I didn't think they really produced stuff, but I could be wrong. I think they produced some. But you know, distribute yeah. a bunch. But distribute still notably works had because... no title card in the um in the intro. So. Yeah, I think that is. This, this I think that's the like giveaway. Title if cards. I'm being honest, yeah, it was like that meme. Uh, that to be honest, it's from Family Guys. <laughs> but he said no memes. <laughs> uh, scraping the barrel. Yeah, doing Family Guy. I got Family Guy. Um, but yeah, can we do this? Is actually let's just switch and talk about the Family Guy movie. Yeah. Yeah. What did you want to talk about before we started? I didn't have context. I don't have any context. Oh, you have no memes. That's what you said. Yeah, you. I, yeah, I, that's what I was going. I picked it and I watched it. It wasn't meant to be a pod episode necessarily. I just watched it and then I really wanted to talk about it because, I mean, we'll get into it. But there's a lot going on and a lot to talk about. Um, and I, I think I'd heard that it was like visually nice, um, but I didn't know contextually what it was about beyond it being about Ethan Hawke as a as a holy man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can answer the question that you're thinking. Why was it shot in 4.3? Apparently, Paul Schrader said that he was inspired by Paul Pawlikowski's film Ida to shoot in 4.3, and he said it drives the vertical line so you get more of the human body in the frame, which is interesting because obviously when you've got 16.9, you're cropping people in a way that doesn't match their bodies. Quite interesting. Yeah, um, I thought it was... Cool. It's the second 4-3 film we've watched. Actually, that was the um, only meme I had. I wondered <laughs> if, you know, first of all, my imaginings were that maybe it was so it looks like a photo, but maybe it's just because you can't get that A24 funding if you've got the edge of the frames. So, Not your best meme, mm. but your only meme, yep. luckily. Yep. Anyway. So the film... Yeah, op- um, I guess we could... I, I want to quickly talk about Paul Schrader, like... <laughs> I've not seen anything by him anymore, but he's an older guy. Because, um, like, most of the A24 ones I watch are by people in their second or third film who were kind of mm. younger, I guess. So I think it's maybe a bit interesting that this one is a more seasoned director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't suss out what Schrader directed, but what's funny was I watched this film and I, with no outside stimuli, I was like, this makes me think of Taxi Driver. Like, it's sort of a film about someone becoming disenfranchised with society and then maybe taking a radical action. So turns out 
he also wrote Taxi Driver like 40 years earlier. Uh, wow, the 70s. That's like 50 years earlier. Um, yeah, so that would make him, I'm going to quickly check how old he is. Probably about 80, right? Anyway. Uh, 70 or 80? He is 74. Mm-hmm. So I've got to say off the bat, Cool film for a 74-year-old to be making. Cool film for anyone to make. I genuinely left the film going, I would love to have made a movie like this. There's a lot to love about this film. I think that what shook me is that like, really, it's like the first real film I've seen. I'm sure there's other films, but where like climate change is like the center of the, the narrative. And it's like, obviously there's more conceptual stuff going on, but it's like, we're, we're probably going to be getting films like this where, because it's going to be part of our lives from here on out and get worse and worse. Like films are actually going to be about this as a subject matter because people are going to have to deal with this stuff. Mm. Yeah. Imagine if you'd watched this film last year when like the um, climate rallies and stuff were going on and I don't know, I suppose you'd feel a bit empowered, but like this, this film basically is an uncomfortable watch in the best way. Like, I feel like with these ones that are sort of ethically challenging and probably particularly environmental, like environmental has to be the main issue that feels like this to me. But to me, it felt good to to sort of sit through this and like have to confront those thoughts again. Like I think with the environmental concerns, you sometimes need a bit of a refresher because you you face them, you get a bit depressed for a while, you think about how you can change your life and then you get a bit distracted with the other shit of life and then you forget about them a little bit again do you know what i mean do you feel like that or not yeah well uh, it's just like one of the things that is like pretty dreadful right now or like concerning that you have to think about um and it gets overtaken by maybe more immediately entertaining things or immediately shocking things i guess or confronting things Mm -hmm. um but i i like that it's also something that is kind of for a lot of people going to be this underlying dread that that you don't get to shake, you know, that's always going to be there. Um, and it's just interesting to think about how, I don't know, like we're both in our 20s now and just the history of this thing, how it's like, I guess, really ramping up at the moment. But it's like, like I'm, I'm listening to this audio book about um, climate policy in Australia and it's focused law school song. You need a law school song. <laughs> well, I <laughs> I'm at law school. Yeah. Um, Objection, Your Honor. <laughs> and cue it. I did really well on that one. <laughs> yeah, one that of the best was theme songs yet. <laughs> wow. So good. Um, anyway, it's like an issue that's been around for a long time. And it's just interesting how, where it sits in the public consciousness, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, 
and it's just depressing, I guess, li- re- listening to this thing and, and seeing where we were 20, 25 years ago and how little has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what I, what new perspective this film brought to me was that I'd always sort of thought like, I think that we as the younger generation are sort of like, there's this whole angle that's like, oh, you know, your oldies won't even have to face it, that sort of stuff. Um, what this film sort of highlighted to me, it was sort of with the heat maps, honestly, which is, you know, the simplest thing, but just the heat maps behind him when he's talking about, um, you know, the climate problem. Um, it made me think that if you, like, the climate problem was still there in the 70s and, like, there were people who were switched onto it as well. So, like, whether you like it or not, you're opted into this climate problem. It's always been a thing that's going to get confronted eventually by society sort of thing. You can ignore it as I, long yeah. as you want. but And I don't mean that in a completely depressed way, but I just mean that like everyone by being alive has opted into this problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's an unavoidable problem. It's not a political... It's obviously a political issue in a sense, but I separate it in the sense where it's like just like a, a, a concern for existence. So it seems bigger than that in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which I guess makes it frustrating. Um, I think that the character of that... I can't remember his name, the bank or whatever the... The rich guy who was funding the church Bulk, was because the company is called Bulk. I th- I thought he was a really good character. Um, I think what's cool about this film is that it's obviously about Ethan Hawke, his character. Um, but then it, everyone else who's in it is actually kind of interesting, I think, as well. Um, and so, like for example, this Bulk character who who shows up for maybe ten minutes or something like that, but has some influence, I guess, in the story. Um, he covers like this ground really quickly like he, he he's a certain character in person you're like yeah that's a real person like i could totally see that mm-hmm. if you know what i mean yeah um it's like we'll talk about how the narrative functions but he's interesting because he's the only real antagonist and only real antagonistic thing in the plot you know what i mean he's pretty he's heavily coded to be a bad guy as opposed to everyone else who's fairly neutral yeah, but even so, it's like he's not like a, a crazy villain. It's like, um, you know, in movies about like race, re- race relations or something like that, how they have like a comically racist character or something like that. Comically like, is probably to... not the word, but caricature. Well, it's, it's ridiculous, like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like good to not have a crazy environmental um Jerk. You know, maniac who... Yeah. Jerk, exactly. He's just a guy who go. He's got his own self-interest and he, and he says, you know... Oh, you know, there's not enough science. It's, you know, it's not worked out. It's like kind of a deflection sort of thing, like, which is more realistic of what it is. And that's how people behave in the real world, you know? Yeah, I love when he's like, you know, I I think I know about this stuff. You know what I mean? About the environment when Ethan Hawke brings it up. Um, That whole... Yeah, and I don't know, it's just such a realistic thing, like, and and, because this this Bolt character brings it up because he talks about the funeral for the other guy who committed suicide and he's like oh that river hasn't even been polluted blah 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 and it's just such a thing where like you can it's a realistic thing where people take a statistic or something or maybe a a, a research or something that's been commissioned with a certain uh, agenda and that will back your argument and then that spreads more misinformation and confusion about it which is all you need to do mm-hmm. really because it's such a um, stressful and you know, destabilizing issue, it's easy to, to, to make it seem vaguer than it is so you can avoid 
taking responsibility, I guess, or, and taking action. Yeah. Um, at like a large level, that's probably one of the hardest parts about the climate issue, which is that individuals aren't responsible, sort of. You know what I mean? It's not as simple. Like even what you said earlier, like there are other more glamorous issues. I think it's because they're more like personified and this is an issue that's not personified. You're not like unless you're driving around in a Hummer and like, you know, lighting methane on fire for laughs or something like that. There aren't individuals doing the thing. They're just like enabling the thing. Um, so it's yeah. it, it kind of goes against human nature as an issue itself. You know? Yeah, I agree. And it's... Um... The defense from a lot of, you know, people who are conservative with this sort of stuff is that the negative effect from taking action will be will be too heavy on people who it'll make people lose jobs. It'll make people mm. mainly I mean jobs is the main thing that yeah, people jobs argue is it pretty much the only thing. It's like economy Australia, and jobs, I guess. Exactly. Um particularly in Australia where we uh, Mining. huge exporters of Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. He, uh, it was just like a solid appearance character. But anyway, it, it brings me to like how, how I love this being tied in with religion because I think the the climate issue and people who believe in, you know, who are environmental activists and believe in um, this this sort of stuff have often been painted as, as kind of religious fanatics in, in a sort of way. Yeah, it's, so their reli- it's, it's in, an alternative religion, right? Yeah, um, and I, I don't know. I just thought it was such a really smart way to, to to tackle it you know and it's like everyone who who believes in this and can see what's happening i think has a lot it's hard to maintain faith in a lot of things and and what a good way to tell that by like literally having a person struggling with his faith in god because of this mm. yeah because i think it deflates everyone a little bit yeah i just there's so many good choices in this film like it's seriously like i don't know about like on a script level but like, I don't know as, like, dialogue and the way events happen, but the story elements are just so smart and so strong here for me because they're so... Everything... Like, the whole out, the whole film is so relatable. Like, you know, right down to, you know, health crisis, emotional crisis, like, faith crisis, climate crisis. All this stuff is just so relevant. And I just feel like it's just... Every little... Every plot event was just so well done. Like, I just love the fact that someone because i could have watched a film about any of these issues independently probably you could have watched someone like confront like you could have watched a pastor confront his religion in general and then on top of that the next inciting thing is that he's thinking about his religion because he's sick and then on top of that he starts thinking about the meaning of life and then that sort of thing but then probably the smartest decision the film makes and one of the most things that i love most about it is that he doesn't actually lose his faith throughout the whole thing like i think he's such a well-rounded character because he can maintain his religion and his beliefs whilst also taking on a new belief and also like like he's not questioning his religion he's questioning the institution you know what i mean that was so much yeah, more and, interesting and i i think that's like he he's the the religious person we all wish was running um, religious organizations yeah. and that you can you can believe in other things and um, you don't use your religion as a cop-out from other things going on in your life you know what I mean mm-hmm. like for that that um, bulk character funding all this money into the church obviously setting up this image that he's a, a godly guy and all that sort of stuff and then being like you know obviously ridiculously um, 
irresponsible, I guess, where it actually matters. And it's such a real thing, especially in, in politics. I mean, I guess it's always been a thing in politics, you know what I mean? But it seems apparent now, um, I think really with what's maybe going on in America and, and, and everything, that it, it's, you know, holiness and kind of closest to God is seen as this like... Defense a, or something? A defense to justify a lot of immoral behavior. And it, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I think that the film had a really cool spectrum of religious individuals, you know, like you've got um, Ernst, who is obviously a pastor and then has he working through his own stuff with his religion. You've got Mary, played by Amanda Seyfried, who's like, I love how she's a, a believable church person who's like, you know, I grew up with the church. That's very, I think you find those people a lot and that's, yeah. I think that's a, a strong reason a lot of people may still be in the church, you know what I mean? Just because they grew up with it and it's familiar like it's community and stuff um and then cedric the entertainer like i actually really liked him and i thought yeah he was super good i really I, I thought he was quite a wise character like i agreed with a lot of the advice he was spread in um mm-hmm. uh it was funny when he was saying the um the he was recording the video message and he's like you know all these people they're internalizing it thinking this stress is about them and they're like, I was like, yes, yes. And he's like, and so you got to turn to God. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. But I'm sure that, that God is like a good anxiety management system for a lot of people, you know. Well, <laughs> like, I think, uh, yeah, at the, at the risk of like addressing that issue sort of head on. But I think that's what the film's sort of getting about. It's that normally religion is your, your medication. It's your, like, it's the thing that gives you strength to confront issues. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and like Ernst is so such a good character because he's not using it as a cop out in ways yeah. he's able to do both um, and just to keep going like Michael himself being a, like the political activist but also respecting the pastor to still be able to meet with him I like that mm. um, Bulk is such an interesting character because you know that's Trump basically I, like he's not as evil as that sort of thing but you know, someone who's, yeah, but it's that, who's yeah. selling selling religion. Um, and then, like, you know, the church organist, like, like, I'm looking at all the characters, but they're all, they all have interesting relationships to religion, even in the, the small bit characters, you know? Yeah. Bulk is like the Jesus is king of religion. Like, just a, a cop-out. I'm talking about the Kanye album, yeah. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> It's just you being yourself under another under another hat, pretending that it's different. Well, I already like even talking about this film is that we can talk about issues that people don't normally want to talk about or hear about. And I don't feel like... like I, f- I think this film shouldn't really offend a lot of people, you know what I mean? Even though it, it could be, right? Yeah, and it, I'm sure that... Because I'm thinking like watching it like, okay, well, they're filming in actual churches... Um, I'm sure that there's definitely religious people in the cast. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I, I'm sure we could do a bit more research, but I doubt it. It doesn't feel like a film made by an atheist who's angry at God. It's that's what's really good about it. And I think that it's the sort of uh, approach people really should have towards religion if you want to have any sort of conversation about it, because you need to respect people's um, beliefs and, and, and needs and, and what they they find from it. But you know, obviously, it's about being able to listen, like you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was just appreciative that he handled it in the script so um, uh, layered. Like there were so many layers to it. Um, so 
the other thing, the other narrative device I loved was the the journal. Like, it's so relatable. I think you've tried journaling before as well. Um, and I just loved the quote he had. Uh, where My he journal's goes, the track, man. <laughs> Same as you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My journal's the beat. <laughs> he says the quote that's like, uh, the, oh, you're just an exercise in self-pity. <laughs> I was saying like that and I'm like, oh my God, this guy is like talking to me. <laughs> when I journaled, it was just like this grim person trying to be, I don't know, kind of epic and like, oh, you know, the world's so heavy. Mm. Like, I love that. And even like, it, I think it is a good way of um, expressing change. You know what I mean? Um, as, a, as a filmic device, it's smart to be like, here's a journal. And yet, make it a character and an exercise in itself. Because if he hadn't, if he had have been journaling before, he's a different character. Um, if he stopped journaling, he's a different character. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. never felt yeah, yeah, forced. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and it was a substitute for prayer. Really, is like what he was saying. Mm. Um, interesting. So, like the opening shot of the film was really good. I don't know if you remember, but the up to the church. You mean? Yeah. Um, First of all, symbolically, um, but also aesthetically. Like, how cool was it when the, the screen goes black and you can see this tiny little cross in the middle of the screen? Did you see that? Like, that was just really awesome. And then the slow crawl up the hill to see the giant church. And obviously, there's the symbolism that it's just, like, overbearing and, like, it's everything. It's religion. It's God. It's all that sort of stuff. Um, but just a really cinematic and great shot to open a film. Um, and after reading that Schrader comment about the the verticality. Obviously, that works there, right? Like, the church is perfectly mm. shaped for a 4-3 frame. Um, yeah. Is that, that, like, whole quote, I only just heard it or just read it, but, like, it's sort of changing my perspective because I was going to, when we talk, I was going to talk about 4-3 and how, like, 4-3's really taken off in the last little bit, it seems. Um, do you find any sort of, like, why is 4-3 so trendy and enjoyable? I don't know why it's trendy. I think it's enjoyable. It, to me, it almost feels like, um, like you know, make recording a song on analog equipment or something like that. It's it's got this sort of aesthetic to it that feels, um, like hardier or more organic, I guess, mm. in a lot of ways. And I guess maybe that is to do with like what you said about framing bodies and stuff like that. It makes people more of the focus of the shot. Mm. It does. It, I guess it kind of draws your attention really to what's going on. In that it's a you know you've got more limited space, so I guess it makes everything a bit more dynamic in the in the shot. Mm. Yeah, um, it's like your yeah, it really is like when you start to think about it. Widescreen normally is quite peripheral, you know. Even here on this Zoom call, like if you were just seeing my head, it's, yeah, th- there's nothing going and on here. I was saying to you like, uh, there's a guy in one of my shoots for some reason, and he's his webcam is like the four, three ratio. And I'm like, (laughs) I was Googling how to do it. Cause I was like, how much more aesthetic would it be if my my zoom was that, but I couldn't find out how to do it. Maybe I'll just put tape on the side of my webcam or something. When did you sort of see that start coming in? Cause like for me, I remember the Brockhampton videos being four, three. Um, and then it seemed like a lot of things were sort of after that, but obviously they didn't start it. Yeah. Well, I mean this, this would have dropped on the year of all the saturations. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe. Uh, Kevin Abstract's a very big Paul Schrader fan. <laughs> what sort of movies does Kevin Abstract lo- watch, though? Mm. I don't know. I feel like he likes, like, sort of ironic stuff as well. He'd be like, Gremlins 2 is the best movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in his defense. Um, 
Yeah, so what do you think of Ethan Hawke? Ethan Hawke. Um, I want to talk about him as well as his character at the same time because Ethan Hawke is like, I think he's the most trustworthy and untrustworthy guy at the same time. Is there anyone else who's like, I want to like you, but you seem like the sussest guy ever as much as Ethan Hawke? Do you feel that? I mean, I'm not that sus, suspicious of him, but I, I get what you mean. Because in this film, I think his development and the reveal of information is really interesting. So, to me, as a bit of a skeptic, I, w- I thought he was going to be like a tool, like, you know, like uh, an abuser of power or something like that. Um, I suppose that's maybe what these films are normally about as well. Like religious films are normally about that sort of thing. Um, the thing about like, uh, quick, oh, sorry, I was jumping quickly. And like, yeah, about religious, uh, I mean, it's like religion has been the center of everything for such a long time that it's, there, I, I'm sure there's not many like sides of the religion coin to be covered left in a film so they just actually felt like a fresh take on a religious topic you know because you're right they, they all do seem to be about that abuse of power or they're this film in an alternate reality about losing faith for for something else but it's like it's only about sort of a so gross injustice or something like that right like it's about mm-hmm. someone abusing power somewhere you know what i mean like it's i think it's really interesting that it's such a non-individualized issue and problem right like, it's normally, like, about, I don't know, children and children getting hurt or something like that. Like, something like Moonlight. Um, I don't know. Not Moonlight. Spotlight. Have you seen that? Yeah. Anyway. But that's not a religious film. That's, like, a about, journalism film. I suppose when, it's about religion. when old institutions get involved, it's normally that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, like, Primal Fears like that as well. Um, I don't know if you... Edward Norton film. Back to Ethan Hawke. So Ethan Hawke, like I was also he's like he's a guy I like seeing as well. Um, I don't know. I don't even have that many Ethan Hawke films. And even if you look them up, I feel like there's not heaps of Ethan Hawke films as much as you'd expect there to be. Do you agree with that? I feel like he's got a good career. No, I um, agree. I feel like he's the type of guy who everyone lo- like respects as an actor. But mm. I don't like he doesn't have those but blockbusters. As much as you'd think. I think, no, but I, I think he had like your 90s heartthrob films. Or you know what I mean? Like, I guess like maybe more like if, like McConaughey sort of stuff that when, yeah. you know, like where you're playing that rom-com or something sort of realm and he's like the kind of bad boy sort of thing. Okay. I think he did that for a while in some films and then gets to move on, which is obviously the dream because then you get to be like an ongoing sex symbol and make arty films <laughs> like... Yeah, it, it's some of the transformations of, like, some of the best actors normally, to be honest. You have to imagine that, like, going through the Hollywood system would obviously make you a better actor. You know what I mean? I think we underappreciate that these are people who, like, even in the sense of a normal profession, are put in their reps every single day. You know what I mean? Like, of course, they, can, no one, they should be yeah, good actors. And I think what... This will sound kind of dumb, but, like, Letterbox has, like, opened my eyes to how many films actually get made. Mm-hmm. Which, because I think it's different in Australia as well, because they're obviously all coming out of America. And I'm sure if you lived in America, you'd be checking your local cinema and see like a bunch more films than we ever see. Mm-hmm. You know, films getting limited release and all that sort of stuff. Where in Australia, it's like, we obviously get, we just get a lot less, you know, probably. Um, yeah. And so, so it's, it's funny seeing actors who have been in, a, who are taking a bunch of maybe not gambles necessarily, but they're going to a bunch of films that you read the script or the, the, maybe the cast and what it's about and you go, this could be a really good film, but then half the time they're actually pretty mediocre. 
Um, and then with a film like this, it's just funny. Like I, it completely obviously flew under my radar and your radar and I'd never heard of it. And mm. it's like how upset I, I would be super upset if I'd not have seen this film, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's sort of lovely though. Like it's really cool when you discover a film that you weren't waiting on and it's really good. Um, I think that, but it seems essential in a lot of ways, which is what's funny about the fact that it doesn't have a hype around it, or like you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so the reveal of uh, Ernst's character, like at the start, he sort of reserved and held back, and I think the example of where I was suspicious of him was like when the they were going by the organ, and the guy's like, "Oh, did you hear about the joke about the thingo?" And he's like, oh, haven't heard that one. And like, he doesn't react at all. And you're like, oh my God, is this guy a psychopath? Or, and then like, you like, you later just find out, no, he's just done with the shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I loved his progression. I thought it came out really like slowly, but naturally. And then the other significant scene for him, obviously, is when he meets um, Michael, the environmentalist, and they sit down and they're having that debate. Like he's asking um for ernst's opinions and he's like you know how do you respond to that and then uh um ernst is like giving these great answers like i thought they were really profound answers you know he's like what's life without life and death that sort of thing what's life without sort of fear and hope um and then i love how he's like oh in that moment like i felt so alive i loved it i love the argument and I guess that, okay, so that's what's interesting. If we're talking about his, his character, I guess, like he's sitting down having this discussion and it's like a real discussion that's actually, I guess, what he's there for as a, as a religious guy. And that he's actually like, oh, this is, my pur- you know, this is my purpose sort of thing probably when he's having that conversation. And then I guess that coupled with him follow, you know, going through that and he's you know, thinking about what he said, what he shouldn't have said, and then he commits suicide, Michael, um, it probably that's probably what what Unhinged is so significant him. about that oh. for him yeah 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 um i think i just love i find these themes quite interesting because like obviously i can relate to the stress and stuff but what it makes me think about is like when you grow up you're so like when you're young you're comfortable hopefully because you like can trust the authority and you can trust that people are making the right decisions and that you're like um, like I suppose you're just succumbing to a higher power, whether it's your parents saying, you know, this is what you're eating for dinner or something like that. Um, but then as you get older, like it, obviously the world opens up and suddenly the pressure's on you. So like, I think sort of like the ultimate struggle is like this balance between wanting independence and like also, and that comes wanting to be taken care of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like the skepticism of the higher power or not as well. Cause it's like, you can succumb to a higher power, whatever that is, whether that's in your marriage, whether that's in your uh, uh, hobbies and clubs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there's always the skepticism of the the thing that you're trusting more than yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what's... And, and talking about, like, when you, you know how you're younger and you don't have to worry about it, that's what's scary about all of it is the fact that kids you know, are a clean slate and then grow up and then a lot of the times end up, obviously not all the time, but a lot of the times end up carrying on their parents' legacy and their parents' beliefs kind of for no other reason. And, and I guess I don't really really have a point here, but I'm just saying it's it's funny that you at, at some point you end up with a person with these opinions and you end up with a person who believes in certain things and that becomes who you are. Obviously, it's influenced by a lot of different stuff. 
But I don't know. That's just funny to think about, I think. Mm. Yeah, so I suppose like the way that that can be discussed is that I like that um, Mary and Michael themselves were both respectful of the church but could exist in these other worlds as well, right? Like that's ideally what someone is like, I suppose. You know, you can be multifaceted and be able to see the different sides sort of things. So, yeah, that conversation obviously is really good. A good, a really great scene. I don't know. It's funny, like um, I wasn't expecting him to commit suicide and then he obviously did. Mm. And it feels kind of funny because it's like, not funny, but it, it's heavy. obviously, oh, yeah, heavy. And also, though, he was, I think, a re- I think it was a good performance by him. Like I was actually looking forward to more of that mm. yeah. <laughs> in the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there were some really good philosophical discussions, especially after listening to... Um, uh, our podcast for I'm thinking of ending things. This is like similarly thought provoking, but in such a different way, isn't it? Um, because yeah, as I said, like the Cedric character, Cedric the Entertainer character was really good. Um, I loved the discussion they had after the after the pastor was at the um, the children uh, the teenager meeting, and uh, uh, Cedric goes like. Um, Kids are, sorry, I had a note on it. Yeah, he said, uh, the kids are extreme and absolute and that's what's different about them. You know what I mean? Like kids want all of everything or none of everything. And so like, I like how you've got that like classic cliche idiot in the the crowd who's like, oh, so what? We just shouldn't care about, uh, you know, God doesn't work and doesn't count and everyone should have jobs and stuff like that. Um, But it's so true that like, I think, you as like everyone as an individual needs to sort of balance this idea that am I being sort of absolutist right now? Um, and you know, would I be served to be less absolute on the thing that I'm obsessed with? Absolutely. Ah, I didn't mean to make that joke and now I feel embarrassed about it. Um, and like that part, for example. That that one small interaction covers so much ground and it's like two minutes of the film and this film just seems to do that all the time, I think, mm. which is so good. And like, because there you go, that's like bang, just like a political statement about the state of things right now and it, it comes and goes and it, you don't, it's not tacky, it's not thrown in there like for no reason, but it just makes its mark and then the script moves on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I also liked his comments about, I well, actually like, when I watch stuff like this, I sort of forget what they said and what I drew from it. So, like, forgive me if it's not actually in the script. But um, he seemed to... I remember him making a comment about feeling like everyone's always thought the world's going to end sort of thing. Like, I don't know if he said that, but it came across to me that's like everyone's sort of been dealing with this stress every existence. You know what I mean? Everyone sort of had a sense of that because I suppose because we're, like, self-centered and we're, we only have our own perspective and our perspective has all this information that's overwhelming, you know? Well, he talks about it. He says it in the context of like darkness, right? Or like mm-hmm. the lack of, or, or like despair, I guess. Mm. Um, and that's what's, I guess, interesting about this is a, as a, um, a subject. I don't think we've, it, it's, it's not like humanity's ever faced like a collective darkness ahead of them, I think. You know, obviously there's been so many horrors of people who have had terrible tragedies and things happen to them over the course of history where there's that immense darkness and there is no hope, but it's like, it's the first time really that, I mean, I guess there's, 
Well, uh, talking about this film, like, so apparently what I read about it was he based it off two different, he took ideas from a couple different religious films um, and I don't remember what they are, so forgive me. But one of them, it was similar in that he had a conversation with a guy but it was about, rather than climate change, it was about um, like nuclear um, war and stuff like that. So there was this guy who lost all this hope or whatever because of the threat of the nuclear you know, World War Three or whatever, um, which is, I don't know, it, it's, it is interesting because there is that, that part that you're saying, right, where it's like none of this stuff is new as a feeling, but also I do feel like it is new. Or maybe it's just the fact that like this feels like it for our generation. And for me, I just go like, this is the thing, you know, and you can't help but be affected by it. Yeah, at the very least, that's extremely relevant. Like, because obviously I don't want to downplay climate change, but it's like, there's at least a slim hope and chance that this is just the nuclear war threat and, you know, something doesn't happen. And plus, so anyway, the other thing that I get watching these sort of films is like, or not these sort of films, confronting these sort of thoughts, um, is that it's like, you know, if you, it's sort of arrogant of you to think that you're going to live for climate change to ruin your life anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, you could step outside and get hit by a car as well. And it's like, you were like... That's sort of, I don't know, it's not word for word lecture I'd give to someone who's having dark thoughts, but it's something that sort of would play through my mind. It's like, yeah. Okay, like- but what complicates it and what is in this film as well is the fact that he's having a child, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What pushes him over the edge is the fact that he has brought a child into a world where he's inevitably going to leave them this issue and this horrible world, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that argument holds up to an extent, but also, like, you've to to believe in that, you've got to sacrifice a lot of lifestyle things that were given for so for so long and have been given forever. Like, you're going to have a generation of people who, or maybe not, like a whole generation, but there's going to be plenty of people our age and younger who 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 will feel the same way about bringing children into this world. And you go, okay, but that was like a bedrock of the family, the nuclear family dream was underpinning a lot of people's existence. So it's like. Not only, do you know what I mean? Like that, that in itself gives people a lot of meaning. And so you're going, okay, not only are you yourself looking ahead at this future, but you can't, a lot of people feel like they can't with good conscience bring a, a child into that world. And you know what I mean? You think people- it changes how you're, you're going to plan your life out. Yeah. Um, I suppose this is where it sort of gets a bit like external from the film, but obviously it's significant. Um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to me because obviously I don't have the answers. And again, my strong point is that like, I, I'm glad that we're thinking about this stuff. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I need, I appreciate having this wake up call again and again. I need it. And I think everyone sort of needs it with this such an issue that you sort of need to put behind you at certain times in your life in certain ways, at least you need to be able to compartmentalize it to some extent or you couldn't function properly. Right. Um, mm. But it is interesting. Like, do you think that these sort of issues, like even that that nuclear threat you talked about, like were people going through this sort of thing and thinking otherwise as well? Because not just did you have like climate change, or you know, a nuclear threat. Like, did, would you feel the same way if there was a world war as well? Like, because you can't really imagine yeah. a world war ending, probably. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, maybe. The difference is that, uh, I mean, what kind of distinguishes it to me is the kind of shared hopelessness of this issue, I guess. Like, world wars at least have, like, 
the thing of tribalism on their side. And nationalism, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can at least um, hold out some hope that your country will win or something like that. Yeah, and there's someone to blame who was an evil person. But it's like in this, this is what the, the film is about. Like, will God ever forgive us for, for destroying the world? This is about our, our behavior, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think war's insanely fucked up in another, a completely different way. Um, but I think that's what I, I distinguish it. Um, this kind of, I want to talk, I guess, about the ending of the film and what you think it means or what it meant to you, I guess. Because it's obviously relevant to this conversation, I think. Yeah, um, I suppose I, I'm worried about uh, not having the answers here because I don't really have the answers. To be honest, I didn't really like the way that they kissed. Um, I suppose I can draw the classic symbolic meanings that it's like uh, human connection is the ultimate purpose sort of thing. Um, but like, you know, this is probably my main issue with the film, the end in, um, I thought maybe I'm too macro to micro rather macro, but it did feel like it brought this sexual dynamic between those two characters, which I thought was so much more interesting without it. Um, and also, like, when she hugged him, sorry, got a meme, when she hugged him, that, like, would have hurt so much, and he's just, like, chill, obviously, he's got the blood on the front, but even production-wise, I suppose, oh, I, right. it would have been good to see some blood running down his back or something like that, but. Okay, so, I've got other brother, other good brother brother, mm-hmm. sent me a quote about it, um, from the director, do you want to hear a bit yeah, about it? absolutely. Okay, so. Apparently, Sophia Coppola asked him what the ending meant on an A24 podcast, which I didn't know existed, but I guess it's Sounds amazing. a competition for you or not. <laughs> and this is what he said. I don't know what the ending is. It can be read in either one of two ways. One, that a miracle has occurred and his life is spared. The other is equally, in my sense, optimistic, which is that he drinks the Drano and he's on all fours. Oh. He's thrown up his stomach and God comes over to him, who has not talked to him for the whole movie and says, Reverend Toller, you want to know what heaven looks like? Here it is. This is exactly what it looks like. It looks like one long kiss, and that's the last thing he sees. Um, so, I'll just say that I am. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not obsessed with the ending. I think I also don't dislike it. Um, for, and this is something this film made me realize is that a lot of the times, if I if I'm like loving a film or like I'm fully invested in a film then sometimes I, I just think I'd be happy if they just end the film. Mm. And I think that's what this film did for me that worked because it's like, you, you know, when you listen to a song and they've got those like abrupt endings or something like that, or like, you know, just knowing when to end something is so underrated. Yeah. And I think film, film really gets hung up uh, probably more than any other medium it, it, with, with having to resolve things. And so then, you, you know, like, let's talk about Spider-Man 3, for example, Tom. Heck yeah. Um, I've been waiting. I, end- I, had it, I had it in my notes, actually. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Um, like, so for everyone listening, Tom and I rewatched the spider Man last year. Um, and Spider-Man 3, we're sitting there watching it and we're like, both sitting there going, fuck, this is actually yeah, so good. Yeah, is this good. like this the dirty so- little <laughs> secret that no one wants you to know about? Like, is this film actually good? And then the film ends within... 10 minutes in a shitty thrown together end sequence, right? Such a bad end. Um, and, it, and it sucks. And you go, well, I was going to give this movie a five star, but now I have to give it a, a, a three or something. <laughs> oh, well, um, I think it brought down to like two and a half for me. Or something. The ending was that damaging. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And then 
you get a film like this where it's like I'm on board the whole time and every time that something is going to happen, I'm kind of, I get a bit weary that I'm like, are they going to make this something about something different than what I want it to be? Are they going to change the message of the film, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what you risk when you try to resolve something is that you try that I guess that films, that you feel like the film has to have an answer, I think is what I'm trying to get at. And this obviously has no answer. What this film is about has no answer. So like, how do you write an ending for a film that, that, doesn't pretend to know the solution you know how do you do that and like the value in the film isn't about having a solution um and i guess that you end it like this like you end it abruptly you end it without explaining anything and and you leave it in a way that people can maybe take from it what they want so it wasn't like an ending that i thought like completely stuck the land in an amazing way but it also ended in a way where i was content with what i'd gotten from the film completely you know yeah um, I like, I didn't want him to suicide bomb either. That's not the answer. Um, I like, I, I probably just didn't want them to kiss. It's probably that simple for me. I would have been satisfied with them embracing without kissing, something like that. Do you know what I mean? It just seemed a bit, as I said, my main issue is just that it sort of like ruined a perfectly beautiful, non, uh, sexualized relationship to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And I also feel that way when I watch films that it's like you don't always have to make the people... Like, for example, if, like, the when, like, uh, what's the name? It's funny because I'm not even talking about arty films in my references. I'm talking about Spider-Man and now I'm talking about Star Wars. <laughs> but it's like when when Ray and Kylo kiss in Star Wars, it's like, why the fuck would you yeah, put that in Yeah, we didn't need that. What is that? <laughs> yeah, that was so messy. Um, it's so 90s. God, like... It, yeah. no, well, 80s as well. It's basically just like pre-2000s. Or at least 2010 cinema. Um, but I don't think everyone feels the same way about it as us. Like, I think there's plenty of people who really care about love and romance and that sort of stuff in film and, that, and that's what they want. Yeah. And I guess in a way it's realistic because it's like when you have deep connections to someone, uh, it's hard. I mean, I think that probably more often than not, people get romantic feelings for, for other people, mm. you know. But also, like, you can read the film in the way that it's like she came she like showed up at the exact moment where he needed saving, you know? So if you look at it more like the lens of like, of that as like, she's like a savior for him or something like that, then I guess it's not as. The religious undertones or something. Um, I just, even like, I just didn't think. Yeah. I thought the whole message was going to be that he kind of lost his struggle with it. Or, like, it's too much for one man or something. But, like, even if he just stayed alive, like, I suppose just a, another plot thing that I loved was I loved how, how he talked to the kids. Wasn't that such a good scene as well? And, like, it's yeah. just, like, I think it's important in these films where they, like, tick off why you should like them, sort of. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was a key one. It's like, oh, he's great with kids. <laughs> so, we're all good. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But uh, technically speaking, unlike the ending, I thought the way it ended was good uh, like it was jarring like it act, you know like how you can have like a, a cut at the end it's not jarring but this one felt like a jarring cut for whatever reason the music was um, really weird as well i don't know if, like the the post credits i don't know if that was the vibe as well to be honest like, i don't really remember the post credits music if you will allow me to steal the discussion for a second um the, the whole film's music um was like the so the first half I don't really remember the first half to be honest but the whole point is the second half had like thriller dark music I don't know if you noticed that um, 
And so I noticed that there wasn't much music in the film at all. So maybe there wasn't any music in the first half. Yeah, because it, it turned dark, and I'm like, wow, this film is changing, like even the way it operates. Um, I suppose I don't know if I completely loved it because I think it sort of tinted how you're supposed to read it. I think I like it a little more neutral than that, like without having the heavy dark drama music. Um, and then particularly the post-credits song was dark. It's very dark if you listen to it. Um, I don't think that's the vibe. I think you could have gone with religious music or um, serene music, and I think that's probably the vibe for me. Because like, it just ended on a kiss that I didn't want, and then with da- down music, and it's like, what am I... I don't know how to take that, you know? Like, it, it, you're trying to throw me optimistic and not optimistic at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, all I can comment, like we can talk about it, but then it's like, what I, I think endings are important because they're like, hey, you remember a film, but also it's like, when I walked away from this film, I was thinking about this film. I wasn't thinking about the ending. So it's like, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. complain about yeah. it, you know? Yeah, it doesn't... It's, it's, a, lot big, it's a lot bigger than that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I liked how when he dropped the Drano, it like sludged out. Like I was looking for a, a prop sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that, that looks like what Drano would fall out of a cup. Like. <laughs> well, would it not be Drano? Like, how are you not allowed to use Drano in a film set? Is that... I suppose because I was expecting <laughs> him to drink it. You know what I mean? Like, so I thought I was like, oh, I wonder when they're going to change it to urine so he can survive. And they didn't. So it just sloshed out. And it's like, yeah. Urine? Yeah, that was... Did you say urine? <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh. <laughs> Pineapple juice. God, I obviously don't. The things that they teach you at Swinburne. Have... Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Urine looks exactly like alcohol. So every time you see it on film, they go, "Oh, you actually, it's bad." Um, oh, has to drink alcohol on set, so you have to drink piss. And we've got a stage hand who's there preparing the piss oh, bottles for you. Yep. Anyway. Anyway, indeed. We've done very well in this podcast so far, and that's just ruined it. <laughs> we need to take it low brow back to the streets <laughs> um but yeah is that uh what else do i want to talk about so i noticed that ethan hawk's framing was fairly consistent um it sort of had like high-ish angle did you notice not extremely but just a little bit high-ish angle um my reading is that it was sort of like pitying or but like when i didn't like him at the start it was a bit suspect as well um and then I thought maybe symbolically it could be something like God looking down on him or something like that. Did you have any thoughts about the cinematography? Um, I guess I didn't think about it that much rather than I, I thought it was really pretty. Yeah, there, were, there were some good shadows and um, like his face, like I, it had a lot of texture. I don't know if you felt that way. Um, I suppose the other thing that's a bit A24-ish is that like this is probably the other thing that you need to cross off besides 4.3 is have like long static shots that just like roll for ages in a room and people move out of frame and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, what was the, the one that I think about? Um, well, I, but really, I noticed it's like it's shooting her house or something like that, and they walk out the the, re- the frame to the left, and then it starts moving to the right, and they like catch up to the frame and go to the garage. I thought, it was yeah, really cool. that was cool. Um, yeah. I but that sort of that sort of cinematography is sick because it takes you out of watching a movie to an extent you know what I yeah mean? It's absolutely like, it puts you in the scene um cue the music because you know who does that really well but in a different way is paul thomas anderson um in there'll be blood i noticed it particularly uh, wait till we do the paul, wait till we do the there'll be blood pod but like 
they do this thing where they hold he holds a long shot on the scene and then it just moves a little bit like and then the whole thing is like the circumstances have changed like and plus it also like it sort of aligns with this 4-3 thing not that there will be blood is but like it just like makes you the the kind of more jarring you make a shot like that the more you think about it but it's like the cool kind of jarring it's not dutch tilt bullshit it's like just like oh is this so ordinary do you know what i mean like uh, I just really love it. Yeah, I just think that this film works on so many levels. Um, what do you think about the the magical mystery trip scene? I I wasn't obsessed with it. I thought it was good. I don't know. This is the thing that like the this film is. There's so much that I really loved about this film that anything that I wasn't sure about doesn't seem super relevant. Um, and I like that sort of thing in a film. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't like, this is amazing. But I also think it played its, played its role as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just think this, this film feels like, and I wonder if other people feel this way, but it feels really personal. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I, it just covered a lot of ground that, that um, felt relevant to me. And, it, you know, things that I think thought about. Um, so that it's like when you do stuff that, maybe strays a little bit out of that territory like i i I don't really have an issue with it yeah um i think in memory it sort of works you know what i mean at the time you're a little bit like distrusting but it's definitely like imagery that stands out in my mind and like i'm cool with that as well because it's like it is what the film's all about by showing these different nature and then sort of the stressful things as well like the the way some films are like so tense as well that it's like you don't enjoy things while you're watching them um, mm. and I, I guess this is <laughs> this weird anxiety thing that wh- like when you think a film is really good yes, or like going the right direction, yeah. you, you, it, it gets to a point where it becomes less enjoyable because you're like, oh, I just don't want them to fuck this film yeah. up. <laughs> um, there's definitely a lot to be said about sort of like film consumption theory, like even something like 2001, which is my favorite movie. Um, that's my like film schoolish answer at the very least. <laughs> And like, I was watching it and I'm like, man, I want this to end because like it sometimes films are so dense. You want to like, you get, you know, that you're going to enjoy them more on the second watch because you can comprehend Mm. it and you know what the general time structures are and stuff like that. And you can relax a bit more. Um, So like, yeah, with that, when they swing for the fences, it can be a bit jarring. Um, But yeah, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When you take a big risk, it, it you go, hold on a minute. And it happens with like music as well, you know what I mean? And those end up being the things that you obviously really love. Yeah, like on the Pusha T sound uh, mixtape, My Name Is My Name, when you got Kerry Hilson on. Is it Kerry Hilson? Who's the, the Destiny's Child? Um, Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland. <laughs> Do you remember that song? Yeah, it's garbage. Yeah, but... it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, relevant reference. Um I heard that song, you know, Pain Off That? That was in a movie I watched recently. Really? I can't remember what it was. It's something. It was yeah. good. You know that Joaquin um, Phoenix did the beat for My Name Is My Name? But he didn't even. For King Push. King yeah. Push, that's I, it. Unfortunately, it wasn't true. Um, I, you could see it, yeah. obviously. So, so talking about that tension thing, I, I remember like feeling like that watching Parasite. <laughs> um, 
where like they introduce like the people downstairs and all that yeah, sort of like stuff. Yeah, like when it's, it like, comes to horror, stuff. you mean the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but obviously um, that film. Yeah, I think we need to explain. But to this you. film definitely definitely got. I really enjoyed it watching it, mm-hmm. and I was like super invested in it. And then the more the further I've been away from it, the more I've liked it. Still, like mm-hmm. the more I think about it, the more I, I really like it. Yeah, I um, think sometimes it's like movies can become better because you're like, well, I want to think more about this, and I want to process these moments again, sort of thing, you know. Um, whereas that doesn't happen immediately because it is overwhelming, and then. Yeah. Um, notably, I was surprised this. Dad enjoyed the, the scene. He commented specifically that he thought it was really good. I think what was cool about it was that it felt organic in a sense. Like it felt a bit, um, it obviously wasn't practical, but like it felt pr- more practical than it could have been. It wasn't like psychedelic um, yeah. sort of, which You're- I like. I like when... It's it's smart, almost smarter when you have a granted film like this to not make it CG-ish or something like that, but to make it feel like a practical effect to mm. an extent. It must have and been the transition the or right something. Terminology, but um, yeah. And the dolly, like there wasn't any weird effects going on. It was just like, a you know, it's a drone and like they, they were You know what it shots. is? It's more like, it's like how we were talking about I'm thinking of ending things. It, it's like doing effects that make it feel more like a production or something like that or make mm. it like feel like there's people maybe in the room doing shit to make it look like that mm. yeah do you know what i mean i also think that that scene's another strong reason why i didn't like the kiss at the end to be honest because it's like obviously i think there's a lot of tension when they lay down and touch each other that they're going to start kissing and the fact mm. that they didn't do that makes one that scene stronger and two um like it made me like i was just so glad that they had this non-intimate relationship it was just really smart and like it, it's it's sort of nice and idealistic like you'd want like I don't know, I think the sl- the slander that pastors have been dragged through and didn't didn't let you think that. I suppose because I also watched um, uh, Devil All the Time, where there's a dodgy priest, and so I was just happy to see a you know <laughs> good man, <laughs> good priest, a good honest man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it just covers so many bases. Like he he had a his he had a military background. His son died in the war in Iraq. It's like it just touches everything that you could possibly touch on. You know, it was so I guess yeah, it never felt yeah. fake though. I loved the um, mm. I loved how the churches were so different. I thought that was very good visually and thematically. Um, how you've got like the the giant institution, but it's and then like you've got the tourist church, but then like the 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 tourist church was more genuine than the giant institution at the same time. Yeah, that was cool. But and but that comes. Uh, what was interesting about um Cedric the Entertainer's character? How is he's talking about religion as like. So Ethan Hawke's like talking about like what's what are we gonna do blah blah blah, and he's like you know this is so much bigger than than that like I'm my life is like making this place run you know what I mean that's what religion is to me it's it's this building it's it's the people who come here you know what I mean yeah and it's sort of about efficiency like he's about not getting every decision right but generally doing the right thing um, it's more yeah, valuable but, I mean, but obviously Ethan Hawke falls into this place because he's at this isolated church you know what i mean he gets hardly any people come in the door there's not that community that usually comes with it and yeah i guess like if you're not don't have a community around your religion it could be pretty isolating at the same time as well well it it, yeah i hadn't thought about that but like it's more it's a more intense relationship with god in a way you know yeah exactly Um, but it's like yeah because if you if you are bringing god to people through your church um 
then that that's part of that's your reward for god as well like it you know Mm. wow interesting was the uh woman his oh see so the character list that i've got here describes the other woman esther Mm -hmm. as a worker at abundant life who's in love with tola um Mm -hmm. mum and dad were convinced it was his ex-wife did you I didn't. I didn't think it was his ex-wife, but I didn't either. I thought was, they had one night was, or something like that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm. Anyway, been interesting. I loved that whole scene. Was pretty good though when he shut her down, like because it was somehow. Yeah. Like you simultaneously oh. felt bad for him at the same time. It was like, like, oh, did you completely hate him for it? Because he was obviously savage. He's like. Oh, no, uh, I didn't. I, then, but, I was. Uh, you frowned. You gave yeah. me a, a frown, and I thought. No, it was, I just made it was like a, a a powerful moment. Yeah, it was cool because he's like trying to push her away in the best way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, but then he had to be mean to do it as well. So it's interesting for sure. So, like, do you find this is probably the best environmentalist film that you've watched? Yeah, um, it's probably the best environmental art thing I've ever seen. Mm. You know, full stop. Like. It's, I don't know. It was just really real. Mm. Yeah, because, like, what other environmental films are there for you? Um, I, I remember watching, like, Okja. Did you watch that? I haven't seen that, no. Jake Gyllenhaal in a very strange role, but he brings it all to the table. Here on the pod, we love Jake Gyllenhaal. We love him. <laughs> um, he might get his own song. Yes. <laughs> Jake, 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 Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake, 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 chillin' home. Jake, Jake, chillin' home. Jake, 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 Jake. What other environmental films are there? I'm sure there's plenty. I haven't. But it, like environmentalism still seems different, and you know, like I think politically environmentalism, Avatar? and climate change are different. <laughs> But but they're different. Climate change and environmentalism are different because environmentalism seems more focused on like, yeah, politics and power. The stuff on well, uh, environmentalism to me, yeah, exactly. It's like you know, um, Aaron it's, Brockovich it, or something like poisoning lakes and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, humanizing and individualizing the issue, right? Mm. Fighting the man. But it, and but this is the arguments are different as well because I think you know you talk about climate change being around since the seventies, but. Not really. I would say that more environmentalism was around since the seventies, for example, and people were argu- arguing about rivers being polluted, forests being torn down, blah blah blah, which obviously is still super relevant. But I think it's different. Um, it's more a humanized issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, for example, I was watching um, Q and A the other night, and there was a guy, one of uh, like a we just lost a, we just lost like fifty percent of our listeners. Thanks. <laughs> Why, why? You're the one who hates Q&A. You had to, so. you had to make this political, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, Go ahead. Anyway, and one of the guys, one of the politicians was talking about how they were talking about climate policy and, and he's talking about how his community cares about the environment. So, like, this guy is saying, oh, we can't switch to renewable energy and stuff like that. It's going to threaten our jobs, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but he's like, oh, but my community, um, my electorate really cares about the environment. We, we're out... Um, laying traps for um, invasive species and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And it is interesting because it's like people pick somewhere on this big micro-macro spectrum about where they want to focus. And I think this exists for every issue, you know. Um, 
and yeah, it, it's interesting. It allows you to disconnect from different parts of it if you're focused on a certain part of it. Mm. So, like, for example, if you're focused on, I guess it works with the religious thing, right? So, if, like, you're focused on your, your community and you're like, I'm giving, I'm volunteering my time, this is what I care about, then you can, you know, ostracize yourself from maybe other members of the community who aren't part of your church, for example. Yeah. Um, I think this film, more than anything, has made me realize that it has entered the spectrum as a global, uh, you know, existential issue now. You know what I mean? It is something that you have to have a stance on, regardless, like... It's, it's up there with, you know, life and, you know, racial politics and stuff like that. It is a an issue that everyone stands on a spectrum. You know what I mean? But it's like, I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway, this is more just get into area of my opinion, which is <laughs> removed from the film. Yeah. Um, um, so maybe we should wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose I'd talk to you more about this in the pod. Um, you can chuck it in the pod and we can cut it. Yeah, I was just it like it, it has been, it's sort of been an interesting week for this sort of thing for watching because obviously I watched this and then I've also mentioned that I watched that other film, the documentary, um, uh, what's it called? Social Dilemma. And what the social dilemma is, like it, it did, it was sort of eye opening to me, but maybe I took different, th- I think I took different things from it from everyone because I think that's the point. You know what I mean? It's not like phone usage was an issue I had no idea about and information and like, you know, children not being able to handle this stuff. That's not new thoughts to me. Um, what was a new idea to me, which is, uh, you know, it's still a publicized idea, was that they're talking about how no one exists in the middle anymore, like your far left or your far right, that sort of stuff. And then it, it kind of spoke to why that exists. And I hadn't, it hadn't really clicked why that exists for me because mm-hmm. the point being that you can find information on either side that you want to believe in. So you're going to affirm your views, whatever they are. And then at the end of the day, your side's always saying the other side's dumb. So it's like, that's why we have this like clash in politics at the moment. Um, and I suppose I just hadn't thought about that. Um, and then just before dad was um, watching a lecture from work about with a guy who was on planet earth, like the documentary, mm-hmm. and they were asking him environmental issues because, you know, like his thoughts and stuff. And he said some interesting things like, he did say that, um, you know, environmental is like it's it's a battle that's going to go on forever, sort of thing. Like it's not going to just stop. Um, and he's saying that, like he he had a very uh, grounded opinion. Um, he was like, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Like people didn't think we'd be driving electric cars, and we are, and we probably will be driving them completely. So like, there's still plenty of time for things to completely change in your perspective. Um, and he's like. He was saying how he doesn't think the tipping point's passed, whatever. Like, I'm not talking about the specifics of that, but it's still a perspective. And then he's like, you know, this is just an issue that's like civil rights and stuff. You're going to have to keep arguing and fighting for it because you're never going to, like, um, solve it, you know? Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's sort of a politically charged week without meaning to be for me. It's a politically charged life. I suppose it is. I feel like I have only like two states, which is like freaking out about like political stuff or not. You know what I mean? Like you're never really comfortably in between. I only have two emotions. I almost Careful went fear with a dead devotion. <laughs> I have only two right. emotions: writing in my journal or wearing an <laughs> explosive vest. Um. Oh, just the other thing is. How intimidating and terrifying does it seem to be sick in America? 
Like, it's just so grim that, like, you can't afford to have cancer, you know? Um, I don't see how this film wasn't a bigger deal. I just, it frustrates me. It, films, it feels like he pulled out all the stops in making this film. I have to watch these other films to see what yeah, they're like. Yeah, it's got to be the masterpiece. This feels like someone... Exactly. This feels like a, a masterpiece for someone and then you just haven't heard of it. It just sucks. Like, All right. I think that's the timer. We need to start wrapping it up. So, Lil Silky, Big Tombo, Big Chief, Tom, Buddy, <laughs> Champ. <laughs> what did you like about this film? What uh, worked? The thing that I want to praise the most is the character depth. The characters felt um layered and i loved lived in yeah lived they in. weren't they weren't extreme um i loved how everyone had their you know sort of flaws and personal issues sort of things how you achieve that i don't completely know but yeah um i loved all of the plot devices in this film nothing felt forced it all felt natural um we bounced from one existential challenge to another and it was well done in such a uh, such a fair way um, didn't mention this earlier but I love the nighttime scrolling scenes too real freaking yeah, out I agree freaking out good. with the blue light um, yeah so I just love the story um, and then I think to talk production wise and what you could adapt from this as a filmmaker is I think the longer takes really do work I really enjoy that sort of thing um, and I like the lighting as well so yeah a lot to like Okay, what didn't work for you? Uh, pretty much just the ending, to be honest. And that sounds super dramatic, but like in terms of... I suppose the film is long, but like I feel like you just... It, it's it's another one of those films, as I said earlier. Like you just got to get through it once and then I'm sure you'd like it again more in the second watch anyway. Um, so yeah, just the ending. Didn't like that they uh, sort of made the relationship between the pastor and mary sexually charged in some level i didn't like it and the music all right the post-credit music all right Ooh, what's the verdict ah i feel we get we get to this part of the pod every week somehow and then i find myself going i find myself going did i just compliment the movie completely and then was i going to give it a rating that i'll later regret um but I think I will confidently. Uh, will I? I'll probably. Doesn't sound yeah. confident. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will proudly and confidently admit that this discussion has earned it an extra half star. This this, film- is, this seems to be a recurring trend. <laughs> I think when I come on and I rave about something, you get excited about it as well. <laughs> well, because I was looking through my reviews the other time, and like I gave Francis Ha a four, and. Mm. Like, I thought it was a really good movie and really enjoyable and stuff. And then, but it was like a few weeks later and I was like, I don't know if like, you know, Francis Ha is something I'm like running back to watch either. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. it had a lot of heart. No, I, I agree. Really enjoyed it. I've had a, had a, and this is a quick sidebar. Um, a lot of thought about, I sent you a message. I was like, you know, I'm just going to cop that I'm going to be the person who gives lots of films good ratings. Um, but it's just, it's, it's hard. One, because we're watching films that I, we pick films that we think we're going to like, you know, um, or at least it provides some sort of interest to us. Mm. And it's just like, I'm not, I, I just hate the idea of like having a rating system where you're, you're comparing stuff so much that a film you actually really enjoyed, you're not going to give a good rating. Or you, do you know what I mean? Like, the strongest reason to not want to rate things high, in my opinion, is because it's undervaluing how much you like the things that you really do like. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, uh, but you know, if you give Francis Hara four right, and then you look back on it, because it, it, you know, value beyond the the fact is going to play some yeah, sort of. Yeah, I suppose so. Have some sort of weight. So, like, if you give something a four, because you review it that day, and then you think about it a month later, and you, could, I think you could take that half star off. Yeah, because, just and you go, okay, down. this isn't a this isn't a love. This is a really like. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. But you know, let's, this, let's not get too too hung up on our. After this podcast and discussion, I'm fairly convinced this will be my go-to existentialism movie for a while, my go-to environmentalism movie for a while, my go-to Ethan Hawke movie for a while. For for goodness' sake, um, it's earned half star, four and a half. Oh yeah, um, I am in very similar. I mean, I I'm in very similar ter- territory. I really loved it. It was so good. Obviously, we've talked about it for a whole time. Uh, I'm super glad I watched it, and I'm glad that we do the podcast because it's like such a good thing to talk about. You know what I mean? Um, it gives meaning. It gives meaning to the, to this life. No, it, it it adds so much value. I think to be able to sit down and dissect something like this, mm-hmm. um, and to go out and look for films like this as well. I just thought this was really fresh and timely and personal. Covered so many grounds and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, I really want to watch it again. At some point, it's a film that I can imagine. I, I think I would tell people about and 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 everything. So yeah, I'm going to give it a four and a half as well. It's yeah, it's not. I don't think it was perfect, but I can also imagine watching it the second time and wanting to give it a five if it affects me the same way as well. Do you know what I mean? I just thought it was really, really, really good. Notably, a film that achieved that this week for me was I bumped 1917 to a five star from four and a half. Which I know is controversial amongst the Ego Hour podcasters, but it's follow- not controversial. Everyone's allowed to have their. You opinion. gave it three and a half. I originally gave it a four, but I knocked it down because I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, like wait till this you. Watch what it. I had, I had this, I had this crisis of of my my value system that I was given everything fours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that caught a stray bullet because if you watch that film again, like that will be your definitive okay. war movie. Like it is just. Well, let's reflect on what we've done. So f- what I've given out, what we've given out on the pod on the show, so far. Yeah. I don't. Okay, so we did Boogie Nights, which was a four. Which I think, if I was going to bump anything down, probably would be Boogie Nights. But also Boogie Nights is really good. Yeah, I don't think. I, just don't, I don't think. I think Boogie Nights is a film that's easier to criticize in retrospect than when you watch it because you'll watch it again. You'll be like, man, everything is like nailed. You know what I mean? Good. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So Boogie Nights Relic, which I is my only negative review. What'd you give it? <laughs> A two and a half. I think I gave it a three, maybe. You gave it a three. Yeah. Um, I stand by that. But I mean that, yeah, anyway. Um, then we did, I can't remember. I'm thinking of any things was next, maybe. Portrait? Or portrait. Portrait, which I gave a five and I'm standing by that. That's, I, I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock that in. Because I think, but the thing is, the difference between this and Portrait is like Portrait was perfect. I think that was a perfect film. Like I can't yeah. critique anything about Portrait. Um, I'm thinking of even any if things. I think. Oh. But, but you know, comparing this in portrait, maybe, like, <laughs> um, I think that I probably get more value out of this film, though. Like, this is a film that I'm going to think about be thinking time. about for a long time and probably talk to people and I want to revisit it. Yeah, you know but there's I mean? also, like, the amazing thing that you watch portrait and, like, you just know you can go back to that and be like, I'm probably, mm-hmm. I, I will like this as much as I did the first time. Yeah. And I'm thinking of many things, which I gave, a f- I don't know if this is interesting to people, but anyway, we may or may not cut this <laughs> I guess we're like maybe halfway through a season or something and we're f- reflected on how it's gone so far. <laughs> this is the, the, like the bottle episode where we watch the clips. <laughs> yeah. Um, you gave, I'm thinking of anything's a three. I gave it a four. 
which I'll stand by because I want to watch it again and I think it was an original film. I think that you messed up giving it a three. I think that you didn't feel it was a three. That's what do you think I thought it was then? I think that you would watch it again and give it a four. That's my guess. I'm glad that we can have different opinions on this. No, I, I just mean that I still think I wouldn't give it a four. I didn't enjoy right. the experience enough to give it a four. Fair enough. Um, and then Harry Potter, which is a four. four. But, you know, that's, that's a different... <laughs> Same animal, different I mean. beast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving him out. I'm, any I'm cool with that. Harry Potter, any... Uh, you know, we talked about it. It deserved it. And you, yeah. It's one of your go. If I spent- like, if this, I don't know, this, you could tell me this is dumb logic, but if it's like your go to movie for a thing, then it, it deserves to be that high. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think you're nailing the Harry Potter genre much better than you did with that movie. Mm. Yeah, and now we're here. That's about all the time we have. That's the buzzer. <laughs> that really is all the time that we have now. On planet Earth, mm-hmm. we are fucked it's been a ride i'm still it's getting a- i'm still getting extended zoom calls so thank you mr zoom mrs zoom social dilemma i don't think so mm. there's no dilemma here no dilemma just just four star reviews <laughs> you should put that yeah, in the intro call it, rename <laughs> it before pop yeah you should, these these reviews are non-negotiable non-refundable and almost always four stars <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you, you're the person here giving it variety. Yeah. Okay. I'm just the, the moderator. Plugs. Um, uh, we, we should hopefully have, well, we will have live music now. So go listen to I the mean, song I mean, we again. have live music when the first one comes out, but I think that around this time we should have a second song out. And if we don't, we probably got, We've probably got our feature coming out by now, I feel like. the ego, feature film. The ego problem feature. Um, we got some exciting news. Paul Schrader is directing <laughs> the ego problem story. It covers a lot of the same ground as this film. Well, actually, we approached Chris Columbus, but he said <laughs> Pixels 2 is taking up most of his time at the moment. All right. Um, Follow us I at I'm Good Brother, Brother on Instagram. Um, there's probably ego an ego problem. Facebook. Mm. Um, Lil Silky Official on Instagram. And Lil Apostrophe Silky on Letterboxd. That's our show. All right. This has been another classic. Bye. See ya. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's it.